0: You know, it must be obvious to even the most casual observers that I get the answers to life's difficult questions from the screaming voices in my head.
1: It's Manson Mitchell on the weekend with Gary Manson's Suzanne Mitchell, a double shot of good conversation with great guests to power up your day. Manson Mitchell, you're on the air. Thank you, Eric Kramer. Hi, everybody. Happy Easter. Happy Easter weekend. Happy Passover. I'm Gary Mance. I'm Suzanne Mitchell. Together, Mance and Mitchell, in your ears for the hour. Glad to have you there, too. And of course, glad, as we are every Saturday or darn near every Saturday, to be working with tall guy Nathan Miller. Nathan, how are you today?
0: Good morning, Gary and Suzanne. And you might kind to tell that I have a little bit less of a voice. And happy Easter weekend to you. I was at the Mariners game yesterday. It was a lot of fun. A lot of runs were scored. It was loud, but I'm still glad I'm able to talk.
2: (laughs) How did they do? Were you cheering them on as winners?
0: The Mariners won 11-1, to so yes, I certainly did. Got to see the new W on the T-Mobile roof that they just installed this year. Got to see them light that up. Plus, it was also fun booing the other team. I won't point names, (laughs) but especially a specific individual. (laughs) Yes, the
1: storied history of the Houston Astros. There And uh, the Mariners' story still being told. Wouldn't it be wonderful if they could emerge as a Cinderella team this year? They've never been to the World Series. And I have always hoped for that shining moment when they actually win the pennant and we see World Series baseball being
0: played in Seattle. I can't wait for that day. And, you know, every year, typical Mariners fans saying it's a broken record, but each year keeps seeming closer and closer. And this time, I think we will be into playoffs. Okay. I love that optimism. A bold
1: prediction. I love that optimism. All right well good to see you again Nathan and today it's going to be fun. We're bringing somebody in here who for years was a star in the firmament of alternative talk at KKNW, our friend Christine Upchurch. Now
2: she's a star on our show today and this is her seventh visit.
1: Outstanding. Why don't I do this? Let me give her her mad props as we like to call them okay, and then we'll get into a free swinging. It'll be like uh, the Mariners swinging the bats. We don't know where these balls are going to land, but we're going to swing be home runs away. That's home right, runs. Yeah. especially swing if away, you're Meryl. in Chicago
0: hitting it straight up and the ball <laughs> goes all over the place. <laughs> yes, that's
1: right. <laughs> Tell Merrill to swing away. Christine Upchurch MS is an award winning leader, TEDx speaker, author, healer, belief challenger and conscious conversationalist with a decade of experience interviewing authors and visionaries. She has been a featured guest on radio shows across North America and has taught thousands around the globe. A former research statistician, many years ago, Christine shifted her life dramatically after experiencing a miraculous healing from a significant health crisis. Since that life-changing event, she has shared her gifts through energy healing, workshops, writing, coaching, and interviewing. Most recently, as host of the Christine Upchurch show, she was on 1150 AM KKNW for nine years and as host of the Nautilus Book Award Author Spotlight Series. Christine loves to support others, and she is especially passionate about encouraging people to question their beliefs And shift their perspective so that they can embrace a more expansive way of living. Author and legendary human potential leader Dr. Gene Houston calls Christine Upchurch a midwife of souls. Wow, that's a great one, a midwife of souls, and it certainly bears some explanation as we launch into an interview with our good friend Christine Upchurch. Christine, welcome back to our airwaves. Thank you so much. It's always a joy to
3: be with you guys on air and to have conversations with you, whether it's on air or off, because I, I truly appreciate what you two do. Um, I just have to give a shout out to you because I don't know that the people who listen understand what goes into putting a show on. There is so much energy, focus, and effort that goes into this. So uh, shout out to you guys for continuing for how many years now?
2: Fifteen. Yeah,
3: 15. Oh, my goodness. March of 2007.
2: We came on for the first time. And we started out Tuesday at noon. And we have been all over the calendar and all over the clock between morning, afternoon and evening. We had an early morning show. We had a Sunday night show. We've had shows on every day of the week, practically. And um, in fact, we have had shows all seven days and different times. But we've settled into Fridays and Saturdays at 10 o'clock Pacific now for a while. And that seems to be working out. So thank you for that acknowledgement.
3: I wanted to ask you if you do any spring cleaning. Oh, (laughs) well, I would say that um, I'm going beyond spring cleaning this year because I've been trying to decide whether or not to move. I've I've got the freedom to live wherever I want to live. And so, you know, my sons live nearby, but they're grown up. And my son, my, my youngest is, he'll be graduating from college in the next year. So I've just been pondering. And the thought of having to move puts the fear of God into me in terms of the the clutter and the the years of 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 items that need to be sorted through. So I mean, whatever I've been tuning into my guidance, about, you know, if I should move, when I should move, I keep hearing sort, purge, and organize, sort, purge, and organize. So that's what I'm up to. And uh, I guess that's one step, one big step in the right direction with spring cleaning.
2: Spring cleaning and fall cleaning is a bit of a throwback to people who live up north. Since we're in Florida, you don't have a lot of that the way i did when i was growing up in chicago but but every fall we cleaned everything and put the storm windows up on the over the inside windows to keep out old man winter and in the spring the storm windows came down the screens got put up the windows were cleaned and it was always a time for deep cleaning i have never gotten rid of that idea and so i have begun my spring cleaning which i like to do in April and October. And um, I noticed that when I am doing a deep cleaning, I have created uh, a large mess. So I mm-hmm. I empty out the drawers, you know, wipe the drawers down, look at what's going back into them. Some of it gets tossed, some of it gets saved, some of it gets donated. And when it goes back in, it is much more organized. I I love how I can access everything and I have the things that I want. The reason I asked you this question is to launch into one of the things that we wanted to talk with you about today. And that is the transformation of the planet. Mm -hmm. When the planet is transforming, does it look like spring cleaning? Is it a big mess as you are wanting to create something so much better than what it is that you have? When you are cleaning up a mess, does it always get worse before it gets better?
3: Are we spring cleaning our planet, Christine? I love that analogy, Suzanne. And when you think about the process that you just talked about and that I've, I've mentioned, you are basically looking into the backs of drawers and the the you know the under the sink and cabinets and yep. on shelves in the garage at things that you don't even know that you have right so you're creating this focus illuminating what's there that needs to be addressed and it might be it need to be addressed in the way of okay well it just needs to be put into its proper place so that it can be accessed but there's a lot of stuff that isn't serving us that needs to be looked at say, okay, well, this is creating dysfunction. I mean, here's an example. This is a silly little example from my medicine cabinet. For years, I've had things lined up on one of the shelves in my medicine cabinet, and that included like, you know, the the cotton balls and the Q-tips in a container and some rubbing alcohol and my electric toothbrush and uh, some stick deodorant just, you know, which doesn't take up much space. But I began to recognize that every time I was reaching into that cabinet, I was having to, like, position things just so and pull it out so I didn't knock other things out because there wasn't that much space. And I recognized that I was living with dysfunction for years and... I end up getting rid of some things and, and rearranging things and putting that slim deodorant up on, up on another shelf, and lo and behold, there's now this ease. I reach in, I put it back. There's there's no thought that takes place. So when we start to look at the things that are no longer serving us and the things that are creating dysfunction that need to be rearranged, it's not countable, but it's it yeah. it is this part this this. This focus of what's not working and what needs to be purged, and what needs to be reoriented, so that we can live with greater ease. And yes, I think that that's exactly what our what's going on on our planet right now, because we are um, illuminating a lot of darkness. And I think that there's even a sleight of hand as to what the darkness is so, which we can talk about. But it's it's the kind of thing where we have to address the the clutter the dirt, and the dysfunction in order to create the environment, the, the living experience that for, our, for ourselves and for our planet in order to um, create the environment we want to have.
1: When you say the word dysfunction, Christine, it reminds me of all the news I watch on TV. And the long and the short of it is to what extent Are there people in American society who have a personal and even a financial stake in dysfunction? It's almost as if they, and there are plenty of them around in the political landscape for sure, plenty of them in the media, be it the mainstream or alternative sources, who have a stake in keeping people dissatisfied, disgruntled, mm-hmm. and dysfunctional to whatever degree suits their own agenda. I see it going on all the time.
3: It, that's absolutely right. Um, Gary, it's it's kind of shocking to me how true that statement is. And let me tell you a little bit about my belief system awakening of the last couple of years. I mean, first of all, I've known for decades that there's corruption in government. I've known for decades, having worked in the alternative um, health field, alternative healing field, and having healed myself of, of lymphoma decades ago, that big pharma has an agenda, right? They, they wanna make more and more and more money. So I, I went into the, the health crisis of the last couple of years already knowing that but boy oh boy when i started to recognize how we were being misled and started doing a deep dive into the corruption like whether you talk about how the patents were lined up you know well before this illness came about and i'm careful what i say because interestingly enough we're in this era of censorship you know i had a, a show kicked off of youtube kknw got penalized for a week because i interviewed a doctor, a prestigious doctor who, you know, was the head of the American Surgical Association for many years. And uh, she was saying things based on scientific data that was published in peer-reviewed journals and we got kicked off the air. Um, So it's, it's the kind of thing where there is this deeper corruption than I realized. And I started going down rabbit holes And the things that I used to think of as, you know, conspiracy, crazy, it's like, there's some truth to to some of it. So it's, I think, when I think, whenever I question a belief system that's in the collective, one of the things I always ask myself is, who does this benefit? If I believe this, who benefits And I think about all the divisiveness that's been been created over the last, oh, you know, probably hundreds of years, but very obvious in the last decade or two. And I keep asking myself, is this divisiveness really there or is it being, is it the flames being stoked, the fire being stoked in order to keep people sort of butting heads with each other as opposed to looking at the source of their discontent, which is, in my view, looking up, and I'm not talking looking at God, I'm talking, look, talking about looking at the hierarchy of the financial system and more, and, and it, it's the sort of thing where we really need to question, when we're involving ourselves in the divisiveness, what corruption might be behind this that, that is making them benefit if we continue with that conflict?
2: Yes, absolutely. And I I like that idea about, you know, the agenda and, and who does it benefit? I have been, I lived long enough to remember when you, when lawyers could not put ads on TV and I want to say drugs, drug companies couldn't advertise anything much more than aspirin on TV. Mm -hmm. And now it's loaded in in the evening with um, every imaginable drug. Gary and I are very, very fortunate to have a wonderful doctor who will use pharmaceutical drugs only as a very last resort. He said that might help the symptoms, but we really need to get to the source of the problem. And so he addresses things through diet and exercise and, and whatever other means there are available until, you know, he says, you know, try this drug, but temporarily. And, and I appreciate that attitude because when I see all the side effects from all these drugs, it is scary to think that we are so pumped up with pharmaceuticals instead of taking charge of our health in, in uh, beneficial ways through diet and exercise, through eating good foods, and through movement taking care of our bodies. It was like, you know, just get a pill. I mean, that reminds me of crazy 1960s, you know, take a pill, take a pill, take a pill really. And, and so I, I like what you're saying about look at it. Who's benefiting from that? What is the agenda and who is benefiting? And the same thing with this idea of transforming the planet is who benefits from our being in chaos. It it would seem to be almost trite to even say it, but it appears as though, um, you know, Russia and Putin will really benefit by creating the chaos they're creating in the Ukraine and getting everybody, you know, back on their heels with this war. And, you know, how is that?
3: Not the same thing. I, I'm I'm actually going to question that statement here, Suzanne. Because please, please, um, you know, I've been, follow- like, okay, let me back up. In the early 2000s, my guides told me to stop watching the news, and so I didn't watch the news for probably 15 years until, like, unless there was like a tsunami or some big event. And of course, I did research about politicians in order to be educated about voting, but I stayed away from the news. Then in early 2017, my guide said, pay very close attention to the news. And so I started watching mainstream media and reading mainstream media um, news. And when I recognized, as a former research statistician who designed and analyzed clinical trials, who co-authored articles in medical journals, You know, I know some stuff about what you can say about data in the medical field. In fact, it's the statisticians who tell the doctors and the scientists, no, you can't say that, or you have to design the study this way, or that study is so poorly designed, you cannot interpret the data. So when I recognized that um, we were being lied to in certain ways, we were being manipulated in certain ways, uh, I started following alternative news, too. And yes, there are biases on both sides. Don't don't get me wrong. I'm just it's not like, okay, well, you know, I believe one side and not the other. There's there's a lot of truth that is hidden. And when you go looking for it, and you start to see and learn and see some of the live videos from Ukraine um, and learn about how our government has been funding a certain type of research that was being funded in Wuhan as well. And you recognize that some of like the, some of the images that are being shown in the mainstream media are from previous wars. You can actually do matchups using Google images. Um, Some of the videos, there was a video that, that one of the news agencies was using, like it was from the war of Ukraine. It was from a, um, a video game. They got copyright infringements against them because So we have to be very careful to automatically say we know what's going on. We know who's the good guy and who's the bad guy. I'm not saying that Putin is a good guy. Don't get me wrong. But there is more to this story than what is being shown in the mainstream media. And, you know, what I always say is we don't know what we don't know. And I really think that it's helpful. I think that the, the powers that be in this 3D realm really benefit from our tribalism. Like we we associate with one particular political party or we believe one news source. And therefore, um, whatever they say is what we believe in or we tend to believe in because they're our tribe. And I think that what we really need to do is get to that that 30,000 perspective, like looking down on the whole thing and being curious. Okay, well, you know, there's some horrible things going on. Don't get me wrong; I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm not saying that there there aren't. However, there is more to this story, and some of it's even been admitted by our governmental, like the undersecretary of State, um, here in the United States. And so, what don't we know? What yeah. don't we know? When you think about in the past, like you know, the Vietnam War and all sorts of things along the way where we had one narrative that was being presented and many people believed it. And then, you know, fast forward, you know, 20 years or whatever with hindsight, we recognize that we're being lied to. So I think we just, we need to be careful making assumptions about what's going on over there.
2: Well, I couldn't agree more. And it was, you reminded me when you mentioned the video, Gary, we have a video whenever there is any kind of talk about nursing homes or old people. There is one very particular video that gets played on the news. It's like stock footage. We're going to bring out this video. The (laughs) woman is wearing Navy pants and a white shirt. She is older than dirt. And they've been showing this now for the last 10 years. This woman can't even be alive anymore. And when they talk about a nursing home scandal, there's the woman in the Navy pants and the white shirt again. And Gary and I just bust up laughing.
3: <laughs> it's, there there are some uh, where there are a whole bunch of supposedly bodies in body bags. And you see somebody squirming around and, and like you see some of this additional footage and, And, um, you know, somebody goes and repositions them and they're, and there's another one where somebody's in his, in this, you know, this body bag and he's smoking a cigarette. Like what isn't staged? You know, we have to ask ourselves. Oh, and, and then during the pandemic, during the pandemic, they were in ICU. And if you scroll, if you pause it and scroll in, you see that there are dummies in the bed. They're, they're mannequins. Like, (laughs)
1: okay now well i'm trying to get my mind around all of this it's like now now i'm I'm envisioning a a little white-haired old lady in blue pants in a body bag and she's smoking a cigarette (laughs) uh, hmm could there be a problem with media and and you know you bring that that up in a way that that really, in a way, forces me to say, you've got to talk to people, if you're going to communicate on this subject at all, about which media do they trust. I know I'm related to people who get virtually all their news and would say that they get all authentic news by watching Fox News. Mm -hmm. There are some smaller ones, uh, mainly on the internet, and that is their source of information and thus becomes their window on the world. That concerns me greatly because many of these things are false to facts, false to known facts, and yet they don't seem to have any impact on people who make judgments at the ballot box or whom they're going to support, whom they're going to disparage, whom they're going to praise. There doesn't seem to be that critical element of critical thinking, of rationality, without which you cannot have rational, productive discourse. You can have a mess, you can have chaos, but you don't get a lot of progress that way.
3: Yeah. And the the same is true with the other side. There's some who only get their information from CNN or MSNBC um, or the Washington Post. And also there's some people who only get their information that they click through on social media. And It's come out recently that social media took a lot of money from the Democratic Party. And I'm not saying that the Democrats are good or bad or the Republicans are good or bad, but the biases, we are being manipulated through these biases that are being used through censorship with with companies such as Twitter, Facebook, um, Google, and in terms of YouTube, and through the mainstream media as well as through some of the alternative media. And it's it's the kind of thing where we just have to assume that we're being manipulated and take this, this step back and say, okay, I'm just going to be observer here. Like, okay, so I've, I've, I've seen this clip from MSNBC and I've seen this clip from Fox news. Where's the truth? You know, is there any truth to either of these things is the truth in the middle? Um, It, it yeah, it's, It's the sort of thing where if we are only getting our information from one or two sources, then we're probably being terribly manipulated and misinformed. We had a
2: guest on years ago, who would always talk about my truth, he said, This is my truth, Mm -hmm. and I, I thought it was odd phraseology back then. but. I get now what he was really saying is that there really is no objective truth to anything. It Mm -hmm. is the observer that creates that truth, just in the same way that in scientific experiments, there is the observer effect, Mm -hmm. which affects the outcome of the scientific experiment and I think when the observer uh, has their bias, they're creating their truth about something. Mm-hmm. And so there isn't any objective truth. And and so, you know, what what do you do if you if you know you're being programmed and there is no no real objective truth, there's only your own personal truth. How do we get to a, a, a better place? On the planet, that that transformation. Mm. How do we how do we get there when
3: everybody has a different sense about what it is that's really going on? That is such an important question, Suzanne. I think that um, the first step in my mind is to be very careful with our own personal tribalism. And when I say tribalism, we're you know we're we're tribal in nature it's it's been a part of our our survival from the get-go and our first tribe is our family, then it's our peers you know when we're teenagers and eventually colleagues, but they're political parties there there's communities there's there's you know organizations, whether it's you know organization relating to race or gender or whatever, right and if we can. Kind of be very careful not to be tribal with our judgments, with our perception of truth. and it's not an easy thing to do. But for instance, okay, so let's say um, you're a Democrat and you know you, you are having sort of a, a knee-jerk reaction to something that you've seen on the news, and you've got your truth based on that. And then there's a Republican. Who's seen something in the news, they have their knee-jerk reaction, and they, you know, they have their own personal truth. Those truths may be very, very far away. But if you say for a moment, okay, well, I'm gonna question the tribal belief here. I'm gonna question the narrative here, whether you're on either side, you may end up coming to a very different truth if you can sort of at least temporarily. Um, block out the tribal belief, and I mean, being aware of that you're, you're being tribal, and block out that belief, and then say, okay, well, let me do a little bit more exploring, and then come to some conclusion about my belief. I think that with, with all the tribalism, and the powers that be kind of stoking the conflict, um, there's there's no way for our personal truth to be close to the clear truth. Does that make sense?
2: It does. Nowhere does tribalism show up more than in sporting events. Who's oh. your team? Yeah. You know, and and I, I discovered if if my team is playing, I am for my team. Mm. But it's interesting when there is a, a Super Bowl, for example, where I my team is not one of the two that's playing then I can enjoy a good game. So if you can kind of step back as you're saying and not be so invested in the tribe. I mean, when we had the last super bowl, I don't think I really cared who won. I could see the benefits of both sides. I was not cheering on anybody because that wasn't my tribe. It wasn't my team. So Mm -hmm. let's just have a good game and see who wins. And when and when the, the uh, Rams uh, came out victorious, well, good for them. you know, both teams played well, good for them. I didn't have any emotional investment in that. So you know it is kind of hard to give up your tribe to take that 30,000 foot perspective and say, what is the game here? What What are the players doing in the game on the field and look at it from a more detached perspective? It's maybe a better way to go, but you know, as you said, it's a little hard to do. We are late
1: for a break, Gary. So let's go away for a couple of minutes and then we'll come back and talk some more with Christine Upchurch, our honored guest of the hour. You were tuned in to Manson Mitchell on Easter weekend. At Passover time, we're glad that you took the time to tune in to us. We will be right back. Hi, everybody. This is Anson Williams from Happy Days, and I'm so excited to tell you about American Road. It is the best car travel magazine in the world. They have the most fantastic adventures detailed in each magazine with all your itinerary. We could just jump in the car with your family and have the most fabulous adventures you've ever had in your life. Please get a copy of American Road and start your own adventure.
0: Staying connected with Gary Mance and Suzanne Mitchell is easy. Just go to manceandmitchell.com for the latest info on topics and guests. Friend Gary Mance and Suzanne Mitchell on their Facebook pages and like the Manson and Mitchell show page at facebook.com slash If you're on Twitter, share a follow with Gary and Suzanne at Mance Mitchell. Terry Loving wants to help you with your online
1: marketing challenges right now. She has several courses she is giving away to help you get your business working for you online. Yes, giving away. WordPress websites are her specialty, yet her technical skills go way beyond that. Check out her blog at terryloving.com or email her directly at terryterryloving.com. At That's terryterryloving.com. On Friday, Nansen Mitchell welcomes Steve Ladd, adventurer, memoirist, and small boat expert from Bremerton, Washington. He'll regale us with stories from his around-the-world travels. Local boy makes good.
2: On Saturday, listener favorite psychic medium Vincent Jenner returns for metaphysical Q&A and a preview of his upcoming book, The Secret That's Holding You Back.
1: Bringing you mastery and mystery since 2007.
2: We are Manson Mitchell, Friday and Saturday mornings at 10, right here on Alternative Talk Game 1150.
1: Conversation you won't find on the rest of the dial Alternative Talk 1150.
2: Welcome back to Manson Mitchell and our guest this hour, Christine Upchurch. Before we continue our conversation, Christine, Please let our listeners know where they can find you on the interwebs,
3: what you have going on, and anything else you'd like to share. Well, my website is christineupchurch.com, C-H-R-I-S-T-I-N-E, and then like up And, church together.com. and um, I'm on Facebook, Christine Upchurch Professional Page. I'm on Twitter, but I only go over there to see what's going on in the, the Discord. I don't really post much over there. Um, and I'm also on Telegram. I've got a, a, a channel called Vibration of Change over there, um, which I, I post on occasionally. I'm also over there to find links to things that I can't find elsewhere. And um, yeah, and that, that, that's about it in terms of reaching me. And I'm really excited because after nearly a decade in, as a radio host, nearly two decades as a radio guest... I am launching an online program to um, teach people how to be better guests on radio shows and podcasts. Uh, it, I, I finally realized there are identifiable skills that can help people really show up more fully to promote their ideas, their businesses and their books. And so um, I'll be I'm, I'm still looking for the right um, the right online Uh, system for that, but I'll be launching that probably late spring, early summer.
2: Good. That sounds like that is very much needed
1: there. And we'll definitely want to stay connected to you once that's underway. I mean, we'll be checking back with each other and uh, wish you great success with that. You know what you're doing. You are celebrated for being not only an insightful, but a very organized person. So I predict good things in your near future.
3: Ah, thank you, thank you. and it's it's interesting. I know that you two show up on Fridays and Saturdays and I know it takes a lot more effort than that the rest of the week, but you show up as a community service to not only the Seattle area but to the world because people can access this all over the world and it's it's the sort of thing where I did that for a number of years and I'm still wanting to show up, but I want to show up in a different way and I you know I do want to support people in this kind of conversation because, People really expand. It's different than, than seeing a person up on stage as they're pre- presenting or online as they're presenting or in a book. The conversations, it's this, this beautiful dance that can occur that expands everybody involved from the, the hosts and the guests, but as well as the, the, the listeners. And so I, I hope to, in my small way, help enhance that process.
1: Oh, you absolutely do. And you've been doing it for a long time, Christine. I wanted to ask you a very, very personal question, if I might. (laughs) That's just a little taste of Baba Wawa. Some of you remember that. (laughs) I do.
3: I remember her, yes. (laughs) And
1: the late, great Gilda Radner's rendition. Uh I wanted to ask you now, Dr. Jean Houston, who is no small personage, she has an abundance of intellect and spiritual insight. She called you a midwife of souls. A midwife of souls. I love Mm -hmm. the poetry in that short phrase. What did that mean to you personally, apart from the fact that you were being complimented by someone as august as Jean Houston? What did that mean to you?
3: Well, first of all, I was really honored because I have such great respect for her. And she's done, you know, thousands of interviews. I got to meet her personally and and we had a conversation. And I just I've expanded so much based on what she has shared of herself over the years. Um, But in terms of being a midwife of souls, to me, we're all going through this process of birthing, whether it's through our own personal evolution, as we journey through our individual lives, but also on a collective level, we are undergoing a rebirth or a birth. I'm not sure exactly which, which that is but um, there are labor pains that go with the transformation. It can be incredibly painful, disorienting. Like when you're, when you're about to give birth, I tell you, it's, it's a very vulnerable place to be because you are having to surrender to this process. And with my first pregnancy, I gave birth in, in a hospital, you know, with no midwife. My second one ended up, being in the hospital after, you know, uh, laboring at home with a midwife for for many hours. But the midwife was with me throughout the, the process. And to me, it was this somebody bearing witness to our process as we labor into the surrender to something beautiful being created. And to me, that being a midwife of souls is showing up for somebody, whether it's individual or collectively, as they go through this transformation of surrendering in their vulnerability to something more.
1: I love the sounds of that. I truly do. And it, it's it makes for an excellent segue, if I say so myself, because I wanted to know something else. I wanted to get your perspective on this. It occurred to me last night, Christine. I was sitting on the couch or watching TV. I let my mind wander, and then all of a sudden. I had a thought or a thought had me, and it is this, we grow up with comforting illusions, with mm-hmm. allegories of happiness, of joy, of fulfilled expectation. Two of the foremost in that category would be our early belief in Santa Claus uh-huh. and then the Easter bunny. Yes. And then we find out there, and if you need anyone listening, if you need to chase the kids out out of the room, send them on an Easter egg hunt, whatever, because I'm not out to destroy anybody's childhood conceptions of reality. But the very fact that when we reach a certain age, they're childish. They're not childlike, they're Mm -hmm. childish. And so we give those up. And then what do we do as adults, Christine? I'll tell you what we do. We tune into our favorite purveyor of news. Some would say More propaganda than news. We watch commercials where these miracle products are touted. We get involved with people. Maybe they are abusive in some way. Maybe they are chemically dependent in some way. They are dysfunctional in various ways. And yet we stay with them. We don't undertake proper self care. We may not look after the legalities of a situation in which we might actually be physically jeopardized, it could get that serious. And so we just keep hoping that we get the magic Easter egg or that the right present will be under the tree in the form of these people with whom we associate on a daily basis. And the thought that struck me, Christine, was to the extent that we indulge that and sustain that in our thought life, we're still believing in Santa Claus and the Easter bunny. Mm. We become a little too comfortable in the world of illusion.
3: Yeah. Oh, that, that's a, a beautiful point because the illusions uh feed us in some ways, but it is not a uh we don't get satiated from the being fed illusions. And I think about um what I learned about Santa and the Easter bunny as a parent is the real magic is taking the helm with the creation of the illusion. And it's stepping into the reality of it as a parent and doing the creation and, and helping to manifest. And so instead of being the, the child waiting for the gifts to be brought because that's um, it's you know it feeds into our illusion, we're looking at the illusion and saying, no, no, no. This is, this is an illusion, but I am going to take steps to magically create something fun and beautiful for my children, for instance. And I think that if we take that lesson into the world, then we are, are accepting that we're going to look at the truth of the situation, and we're going to take responsibility for our piece of it. And then we're going to move forward in creating something wonderful.
1: I love the optimism and I do believe that you are grounded in practical reality. So that's the difference between daydreaming and actual creative activity with a goal in mind. Suzanne Mm -hmm. talks about there just the other day, we were having a conversation about the teleology of being human. And I think what it boils down to is that a lot of us are like torpedoes headed for a ship. We've been launched like torpedoes in this life. And Suzanne, why, everybody knows that if it's a torpedo, you just go in that straight line and you'll hit your target every time. Isn't that true? That is not how torpedoes work. What? They they go off course, they
2: get corrected. They go off course in the other direction, they get corrected. When I have seen how it works according to experts, of which I am not one, it's a constant matter going from A to B of going left, straight, right, straight, left, straight, right, straight, left, straight, right, straight. It's a zigzag motion in order to get to the goal. There's a lot of correction that goes along the way. And I think that's related to a little bit about what you were saying right before the break, Christine, about, um, you know, tribalism and how you might Uh, at some point,
3: not be thinking the way that your tribe is thinking. Mm. And that threatens our very existence because it's in our DNA. You know, once upon a time, if we we did not sort of step in line with our tribe, we could get banished. And that would be a death sentence um, in our existence. So it's very, very threatening to us. But, you know, I want to say to, to our listeners that Think about how you have left a particular tribe. It could have been you were, as a teenager, you were um, hanging out with some kids who were doing some bad things and you eventually stepped away from that. Or there was some dysfunction in your family that you stepped away from. Um, or you were brought up with very strict religious beliefs. And perhaps you stepped out of that into embrace, to embrace a more broad perspective on spirituality All that stuff is painful to go through, and yet if you look back and say, wow, should I have stayed in that tribe forever? Did that tribe serve me? No, probably not. However, there might have been some wonderful aspects of that tribe that I want to bring forward, and in terms of um, Darwin's evolution, I was told recently, and I I, I haven't done the research on this, but I was told recently that uh, an important part of evolution is having a, a a part of that, you know, whatever that life form is to sort of go in an alternate direction. And that's key for evolution. And Carolyn Mace talks about the the evolution of the human tribe and how in order to do that on a spiritual level, at least she talks about, it's really important for somebody to step away from that tribe. They might get banished from the tribe. Like, you know, okay, you're, you're saying things against the religion or the religious structure or whatever, and therefore you're banished. But if you if you are outside of the tribe and you kind of embrace the information that you're you're receiving and the transformation that occurs from that, then you can evolve and then you can bring those gifts back into the tribe. It's it's a part of our evolution. And I bet every single listener who's listening right now has gone through some sort of, of tribal banishment or exit um, that has benefited them.
1: You brought up something, and uh, I wasn't going to mention any names, even if I could remember them, but you were around, Christine, when there was a case, and we're going back years. This is probably in the pre-Suzanne Mitchell, pre-era, there before she took up residence in Seattle, and we had an opportunity to meet there, but there was a case, I'm sure you're going to remember this, where there was a young man as part of one of the tribes north of Seattle, and there seemed to have been... Some violent episode involving a pizza delivery driver. You remember that? And I the, don't. Tri- the tribal elders were able to gain jurisdiction in this case. Typically, you would think it's purely a police matter, and it was in the beginning. But the tribal elders prevailed upon the authorities out off the reservation to allow them to apply their system of justice and their method of what we might term psychotherapy or an intervention behaviorally. It involved sending this young man out into the hinterlands of tribal territory. And I think it was for a year, I'm just trying to pull that out of thin air, but I believe it was about a year in which the very isolation he experienced allowed him, according to the customs of the tribe, to be confronted by the raw facts of what he had done in order to mature, in order to gain a sense of compunction and personal responsibility before he could safely return to tribal society and society at large. I always wonder whatever happened to that young man, because this seemed to be a novel approach that in most states wouldn't even be allowed.
3: That's that's really interesting that We can, we absolutely can evolve in different ways when we step away from the tribe. And that's a great example of that.
2: Almost literal, you know, when you're talking about
1: tribes. Yes, exactly. You need to go away for a specified time. There, fend for yourself. You're going to need basic life skills, which Mm -hmm. presumably this young man had. And you're going to need to face who you are, who you've become before you return to us. I just hope it worked out. It just seemed like such a novel idea at the time. And mm-hmm. apparently, and here I don't want to overstep because my I this memory came up to me during this conversation, but it seems to me that the the uh the offended party, the victim of this crime, was accepting of this as an alternative solution. Isn't that mm-hmm. remarkable?
0: There okay. is something
1: mm-hmm. besides, you know, clap and irons, lock them up, throw the key away, which is a reaction, and some would call it a legal remedy, but does it really heal anybody? That's what I would be asking.
3: That reminds me of um, a book by Gerald Jampolsky, and it was a collection of, of stories, and there was a woman whose young son, I think he was in his early 20s, had been murdered by this man, and the man was convicted and sent to prison. Well, she made a point of developing a relationship with the murderer. She would go visit him in prison and basically learn to forgive him. And that, yes, he was banished from the tribe for this horrific thing that he did, but her shifting out of the tribal beliefs that it's unforgivable, you know, I mean, losing your child is probably the worst thing that that can happen to anybody. She learned to forgive him. She learned to love him. And the transformation that occurred through both of them sort of exiting, he was clearly banished from the tribe in prison, but she, she exited the tribal belief. And both of them had such incredible healings because of it. Hmm. Are you
2: optimistic, Christine? We, we started the conversation about spring cleaning and the transformation of the planet and the mess that it looks like we're in as we are trying to get de- decluttered, reorganized, and put things back aright. We've talked to a couple of people that were really not certain, and they said, we seem to be at a fork in the road. And, you know, we don't know if this is going to go one way or go another way. And what is your sense about it?
3: I think that um, things are far more horrific than most people realize. Um, There's a lot of darkness on the planet. And, And speaking of bucking against tribal beliefs. One of the things that I was taught within the New Age movement is there there is no evil. There's only love and fear. And I think that for the majority of people on our planet, that's absolutely true, that the evil that an individual perpetrates is typically based on something that was originally fear-based. However, there are psychopaths where that does not hold, and there are energies on our planet, and that's a whole other story of, of... sort of when I'm working in the energetic realm I've, I've interacted with and, and dealt with. Um, so there is, there is evil on the planet and that's getting illuminated right now. And I do have optimism that we are going to shift, but I think an essential part is the illumination. And so people need to deal with the, the truth of what arises, be willing to step away from their tribal beliefs, step away from their perceptions of reality, because the reality is far stranger, I think, than most of us have been led to believe, and then to accept the truth of what they see and process the grief because things are not as we thought they were. So I think that we are going to birth a new planet in a variety of ways. But there are going to be a lot of labor pains, and it's going to be more intense. It's already been pretty intense in, in a variety of ways, but it's going to get even more intense, I, I fear, I, I suspect. And I do believe that it is a part of the birthing process and it, that it will turn out well. When,
1: well, I know that we, uh, we've we run out of time, though probably not out of metaphors. So keep a few in mind, Christina. next time you join us, we will bring those we will trot those out and continue this discussion because it is a never-ending discussion about human destiny. Thank you for being with us today, Christine.
3: Thank you so much. I really appreciate both of you guys. Happy, Happy Easter
2: and join us again on Manson Mitchell next Friday.
1: And happy Passover as well to all of our Jewish friends. Have a great weekend, everyone.